we have Charles Mack and Ernie, and I'm so excited to be talking to him today um, and sharing his wisdom because he has been such an important player in my life and like life mentor. Um, because I went to his program, the Living Yoga program in Austin, Texas, to the teacher training program years and years ago. And he totally changed my relationship with yoga through learning about Ayurveda, the fascia, and the importance of being gentle with our bodies. Um, so if anybody is experiencing pain, 100% like talk to Charles. He is fantastic and been offering yoga therapy in private sessions since 1992. And he recently taught and presented at the International Association of Yoga Therapists for Yoga Therapy and Research and often also holds meditation retreats for yoga and writing. And you can find him at yogateacher.com and also offering like some really amazing live stream sessions too during this time. Yes. So that's been incredible. So thank you. So much I'm excited to chat with you today so I read your blog recently about surviving and thriving in isolation <laughs> that was awesome what do you think the biggest takeaway has been for you during this time mm -hmm. uh, when you say takeaway mm. I guess just like the what you if there's something that you've been like learning that's something we were kind of talking about that earlier about uh, how we're going to be moving forward with our lives changed after this. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, for many years, uh, since 1992, I've been leading retreats um, and I made a point very quickly to lead them in remote areas without access to internet or phones. So I did um, remote area of Guatemala, a little village on a beautiful lake with no roads and uh, no external connections, and then Yalapa in Mexico where there's no phones and no electricity when I started going there. Because what I found was that um, if you teach people once a week, uh, immediately after class, they're re-immersing back in their old routines. Uh, but if you can get them, uh, uh, you know, thousand miles from home, cut them off from phones, from video, from TV, from news, and then really absorb uh, into that uh, different state. You get some physical distance, but more importantly, you get that um, separation from routine. Uh, and that allows us to get the distance that we need to gain perspective. So for most of us, we can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, we're so busy running errands and stuck in routines. I brush my teeth. Uh, I'm, I take a shower, I go to bed, I get up. Um, those routines keep us anchored and fixed and they keep us busy psychologically. Uh, so for me, this has been a very similar phenomenon, the shutdown, uh, only doing it in isolation as opposed to in community. Uh, but some of the same benefits are still there. The opportunity to get enough distance that you can see a bigger picture. Uh, and I think coming out of this, a lot of people will use this as an opportunity to reset. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of things that we thought were important to us, uh, we may be realizing aren't as important. Uh, I think the biggest thing I've really appreciated is the uh, lack of uh, traffic noises. <laughs> you know, it's been so wonderful walking outside and hearing birds and <laughs> animals and, uh, uh, a little eerie at first. Uh, at first, it's a little strange. 
but I very quickly grew to love that aspect of it. Uh, so I'll be curious to see what we do with this opportunity. And not all opportunities uh, are utilized. We pass up a lot of opportunities. Uh, but I'm hoping that some of us will use this as an opportunity, uh, having gotten some distance from our old ways and habits and thought patterns, that we may use this as an opportunity to um, consciously uh, choose to create new patterns for ourselves. That's really beautiful. That's something that I really, um, I remember in the yoga teacher training in Austin that I did with you, there was a, a few hours that was devoted to integration of going yes. back to the normal or whatever, right? Yeah. Because there weren't cars and there was like limited Wi-Fi, and we were all just, you know, zenned out. And it was a really amazing, sweet bubble that we were in. And then going back into the real world, whatever that is, but you were like, yeah. you sure not to make any big decisions. <laughs> like don't sell your house, sell your car, and just like, wait yeah. a week, wait a week. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's always been kind of a, uh, an issue with the types of teacher trainings that we do and with my retreats. Um, there's always that problem that you have a small group of people who have been in a environment that calms the nervous system, that slows down the brain waves, um, that makes you feel more connected. But then you have to reintegrate into this other world that is revved up going 90 miles an hour and everyone is rushing and hurrying and frenetic. This is gonna be a little different uh, because now it's not a group of 10 people or 20 people that are having to reconnect with a world that's going insane with speed. Uh, as we come out of our social isolation, we're gonna be coming out um, with other people. Yeah, the whole planet has slowed down for a month. Uh, and so that's unprecedented. Uh, and I'm kind of curious to see how that will evolve. Uh, so I'm looking yeah, forward to it. It's gonna be interesting. And this is also too why now more than ever, like yoga is so important to be integrating or doing something that can help restore peace or and balance and harmony, or what do we do to help calm the nervous system? And yes. yeah. So, so good. Do you think that you're going to be doing some, uh, a retreat again this year if things, uh, open? uh, well, I've been, I've been so far, I've been focused on canceling retreats. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my mindset for the last, uh, a uh, few months I've had to cancel about seven or eight workshops and uh, cancel three retreats so far. Wow. Um, and I'm hoping uh, I've canceled everything up to the Texas yoga retreat, which is in October. And so I'm hoping that that will be able uh, to move forward. And yeah. I've been in touch with all the presenters, some of my favorite teachers in the world. Uh, and they're all really excited and so we're hoping uh, that if things go well uh, with this uh, coming out of this uh, social isolation uh, so we'll have to see um, how things how things open up and whether or not uh, we've got this uh, behind us or whether it's going to be an ongoing problem uh, and then December is uh, my next uh, personal Yoga, uh, yoga meditation retreat first weekend in December and are you because you do them all over the world like Costa Rica Mexico mm -hmm. Guatemala Texas yeah where so will for, the now, one um, for now I don't 
have anything scheduled for overseas. Yeah. 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 It's um, one of the things a lot of people uh, discovered with this virus is that having uh, overseas retreats was uh, magnified every problem with this. Right. Uh, I've seen a documentary about a uh, environmental conference in Central America on the beach that got caught and they ended up wow. being quarantined on the beach with no shelter. There's <laughs> <laughs> about you know, two or three hundred people that spent a month living on the beach. They thought they were going to be there for four days. <laughs> Wow, that's interesting. Um, yeah, just out of a sense of obligation to, um, I'd like to give my students adventure yeah. and an opportunity to face fear and overcome it. Uh, but I also like to do it with a minimum of real uh, danger. <laughs> and so right now, until I have a much better feel for what this uh, new world we're entering is, uh, I decided to keep things a little closer to home. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And there's so much too that we can do online as well. Mm -hmm. you, you've been doing like your classes and coaching as well. You do yes. uh, mm -hmm. wellness coaching. I've been doing a lot of privates and that's mm -hmm. uh, of course very easy to shift over to uh, online with the new technology. Uh, yeah. I've never been a big, I used to be really, really big on technology when I was in college. I uh, majored mm -hmm. in physics and computer science and mathematics and I love technology and um, and coming out of that for about 15, 20 years, I was still a big advocate. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I got on the internet uh, way before most people. Uh, and then something shifted and I just grew to hate technology and Facebook and all of the stuff that distracted people and gave the promise of connecting and instead isolated people. Mm. And now with the uh, social and for social isolation, I've come 360. Because <laughs> I'm going, thank God for Facebook. Right? <laughs> you know? And what would we have done without technology? Uh, I don't think they could have uh, pulled this off. Yeah. I think people would have gone insane and we'd have people riding on the streets or right. um, jumping off buildings. Yeah. Uh, if it yeah. wasn't for our ability to connect through technology. Definitely. So I've come kind of a 360 now. You come around. <laughs> I make friends with Facebook. <laughs> I remember learning when your, um, your website name, yogateacher.com, I'm like, how did you get that? Like, that is priceless. Yeah. That was back when I loved technology. <laughs> I must have been. Yeah, you were right on the, the jump getting that, that domain name. Um, I was reading too, it's like when you were doing your, when you were in college, you were doing wrestling, you were yes. a wrestler, and then yeah. you hurt yourself, and then that's how you kind of brought in like the gentleness of the yoga and the peace. Yes, so I started yoga when I was 11, and my uh, first teacher was uh, amazing, only I didn't know it. I mean, I knew she was amazing, but I just thought uh, that everybody was amazing. All yoga teachers must be amazing. You know, I never realized how lucky I was. Wow. And uh, I was growing up in England, and she taught at the Radcliffe, uh, which is their big teaching hospital outside of Oxford. And uh, she did a special class on yoga for surgeons. And that's how she started because she said uh, surgeons uh, have notoriously bad backs. Mm -hmm. 
because they've got to lean over the operating table without putting any, a massage therapist is actually leaning on their hands. But the right. surgeon is leaning forward, but they can't lean on the patient with their hands. Uh -huh. So their back is carrying their weight. And then they have to tune out discomfort. They can't afford to be even noticing if their back muscles are aching because their entire focus is on an artery or on a vein or whatever it is they're doing with the scalpel, which is a good thing, their ability to do that. But then the surgery's over <laughs> and then they have to deal with how their back is feeling. So she did special yoga classes just for surgeons. Uh, and then the surgeons liked her so much and found it so helpful that they asked her to start going around the hospital. And so she would go from bed to bed around the hospital helping patients. And this is back in 1970. Um, and her attitude uh, was uh, she'd walk into a room and she would you know, read the little chart and walk up to this uh, woman in the bed. And she'd say, so darling, you're paralyzed from the neck down. Do you know how many muscles you have in your face? Wow. And she would start teaching them all the different muscles and what they could do with those muscles, you know. So her attitude was always to start with the person in front of her right. and then build from there. And it was only later that I found that a lot of teachers um, start with the yoga and then they try to fit the student into the yoga as opposed to starting with the student and then using yoga to build out from wherever they were. So, you know, and years, years later, I realized uh, I was amazingly lucky in no uh, my uh, start. So uh, I fell in love with yoga, not, a, not immediately, because I was 11. Uh, it took a little while. Uh, but it was when I noticed that the pranayama, the breathing, helped me in athletics. And so I found that I was a better uh, soccer player um, because I could breathe well. And then I found I had fewer injuries because uh, I you know, had more flexibility than most of the other athletes that I was working with. And then I noticed that um, when other people got rattled, uh, you could see them before competition and you would see their breathing. You'd see how they would lose control of their breathing and their breathing would gradually become more shallow, uh, start moving up into the chest and shoulders a little bit more. Uh, and I was going down into deep, slow diaphragmatic breathing, and I noticed that that improved my ability to stay focused uh, rather than to give into fear and anxiety. And so over time through athletics, I began to uh, appreciate uh, the gift of yoga uh, for athletes. Uh, and so, but my focus was the athletics. And so uh, I wrestled, played soccer, um, discovered racquetball, loved racquetball. And uh, racquetball is actually how I ruined my knees, only I didn't know it. And I went from a racquetball tournament right into a wrestling tournament on about 20 minutes. I just finished a match of racquetball and I went right from that into a wrestling tournament. And uh, yeah, I was 19. Um, and <clears throat> my knee just uh, went, one bone went one way, one bone went the other, and it's a loud pop. And uh, so I had to give up racquetball, soccer, um, uh, everything. And my knee, I had to be careful walking uh, crutches for three months um, and then a cane for about a year. And I didn't have insurance. I didn't get any surgery because I didn't, couldn't afford it. 
um, and then over a period of a few years, some re-injuries. And what I finally realized that uh, the, of all the things I love to do, uh, yoga was the only one I could do. And I couldn't go to a yoga class. I had to do it on my own because everything was different. And I had to feel my way. Right. And That's so, amazing. you know, and I found I could, do pigeon, I could do pigeon pose, but it would take me like five minutes to get into pigeon pose on one side, you know, three seconds on one side, five minutes just trying, you know, with pillows and blankets and blocks and backing and shifting and pushing here before I could get the muscle to open without putting strain through the knee joint. Uh, so the good news is that um, a huge part of what I uh, have learned about yoga came from that period of isolation. It came from that period when I didn't have access to a yoga teacher. And, in, and for us, that's happening not just with um, our yoga practice, it's happening, people are cutting their own hair, <laughs> you know? Uh, people are having to make all kinds of things that normally we would have just deferred to an expert. Yes. And now uh, I've got a friend just cleaned the toilet. First time he's ever done that. <laughs> he's very proud of himself. <laughs> he looked up on the internet and he cleaned his toilets. Yeah. So we're, all of us are having this wonderful opportunity where we're being forced. And usually um, for most of us, it requires an external pressure to get us to step outside our comfort zone. Definitely. Uh, some of us do it naturally, but most of us, we need some pressure. And so this has forced all of us outside of our comfort zones. Um, 100%. And so it's a lot of similarity to that period uh, for me, uh, which also was accompanied by depression. Uh, mm. you know, and I didn't see the yoga as a gift. I was kind of pissed off because it was the only thing left. You know, I couldn't do I had to do something physical, and I couldn't do anything else physical that didn't involve my knee. And so... Uh, at first, it was kind of like, well, this is all that's left. There was a resentment. Yeah. yeah. You know, I did it and because it was all like, you know, but I wanted to be doing other things. Isn't I wanted to be playing racquetball fast, quick, you know, diving through the air, you know, full contact. And, uh, yeah, when you're 19, it's hard to let go. Um, and so there was a period um, where gradually I started um, to get as much out of my yoga practice as I used to get out of playing racquetball. And it took about a year before I realized that I can enjoy um, yoga as much as I used to enjoy playing racquetball and all of these other high energy, high speed. What a journey to get there. Yeah. <laughs> and not just the body, but the, the mind as well and how that affected your mental state with the depression and Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in one way, yeah, some people, uh, as I've gotten older, a lot of my friends have gone through yeah, midlife crisis and, you know, mm -hmm. they check with me, I always laugh and says, I've been there, done it. I was 19. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. Uh, I may have another midlife crisis. I don't know. But <laughs> for me, that was the biggest, the biggest uh, shift that had to happen was um, at 19, the, uh, do you go down? Do you spiral down? Sure. Uh, or do you find a way back up? My goodness, that's amazing. And so at the end of the day, though, I found that I loved yoga. True, and I appreciated yoga. yoga in a way that I never appreciated it when I, when I was healthy. Uh, when yoga was easy, 
uh, I didn't appreciate it. It was only when it became difficult for me uh, that I learned just how amazing and powerful it is. Yeah. And that's why too, with the rehabilitation and the yoga therapy that you offer, you have a really deep connection and understanding to what the patient who's in front of you is going through. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always been an advocate. Um, when you're looking for a good teacher, mm -hmm. I think not, not always, but usually the prodigy is not a good teacher. Right. You know, if you have someone that is one of the top tennis players in the world and you're a beginner, right. they say, well, you throw the ball up in the air and you hit it, you know, 90 miles an hour like this. And when you look at them confused, they don't know where to go from there because the first time they picked up a ball, it made sense to them. Right. It was natural. Uh, I want to find someone who was a lousy tennis player and through hard work and time and effort, figured out how to play better. Mm. You know? And uh, I want, if I want to learn mathematics, I want to find someone who wasn't good at math, who is now. Right. And knows all the tricks. Not only that is patient because they understand. Uh, and uh, for me, my body was never natural at yoga, mentally or physically. Uh, it was never my, you know, racquetball was my thing. Wrestling was my thing, you know. Uh, the yoga was the outlier for me. Uh, and because of that, I had learned all kinds of tricks to slow my mind down. Because my mind would be going crazy, you know, wanting to jump and leap and hurl myself and throw myself through the air. Oh my gosh, uh, and so I had to learn all these little tricks to help keep my mind uh, focused and present. And then when I hurt my knee, um, and I've always been tight. I've always had real tight shoulders, real tight hips. Um, you know, even as a kid, uh, wrestling, you know, kids put their, you know, push your arm up behind your back. And my, my arm never <laughs> went up my back very far. I always noticed that the other kids were more flexible than I was. So for me, yoga wasn't easy, but it was incredibly important. Uh, the problem is that we tend to reward the people for which things come easy. And they tend, so there's a tendency for the most flexible, the most natural athletes uh, to become the, the role models. Uh, and in yoga, there's not, not, not as bad, uh, but even in yoga, uh, there'll be some teachers that the first time they get in the yoga class, it just was absolutely natural, you know, easy. And then they get complimented because they're doing so well. And yeah. then they love it because it's so easy for them. And then they become teachers. And then they're absolutely confounded and confused when the student doesn't just get it. Right. Uh, so they're, they are really good teachers for students who, for which it comes naturally. You know, there's something that I'm flashing back to a lecture that you were giving in class about the about Ayurveda and the doshas and mm -hmm. how often it's the opposite that you naturally want to do. That is the medicine, right? Yes. <laughs> it's like you probably are not going to be drawn to this, but that's 100 percent what you should yeah. do. Yeah. And I remember you saying because I'm I have a, a bit of flexibility and you're like, yeah, you need to do some weights, like go to the gym, do some like kickboxing. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, what do you mean? I want to just like flow and do yoga. You're like, yeah, but you got to develop that other side too. So that was yeah. that was a real wake up call. Yeah, 
Well, you can actually take that idea. I do a workshop just around that one idea. And it's a uh, kind of an underlying philosophy in my personal practice. Uh, it's one of the games I play with myself to keep myself interested in my yoga practice. Um, and I get bored easily. So I've got to be very, very creative uh, to keep my mind occupied uh, and to keep my mind focused on what I'm doing. Uh, so one of the games I play is in every pose, I adjust and reposition and shift and push here and reach here and expand here and contract there in such a way that I find the most, the, the position that my body resists the most. So when I do, when I'm playing this game in Trikonasana, I only come over about halfway as far as I normally go because I found just the right combination that my body says, uh-uh, I, I don't work that way. Wow. Not, not the joints. Right. I'm not talking about the joints saying I don't work that way. I'm talking about the fascia, the muscles. And so I make just the smallest little adjustment. And now I'm getting a stretch without even going into the pose as far. Wow. And so I back off, back off and back off and then make adjustments so that it's challenging. Because what we tend to do is we adjust to make the pose easier and then we go deeper. Yes. And then we make another adjustment to make it even easier and then we go deeper and it looks impressive. But what you're doing is you're backing away from the uh, tightness. You're finding a way of adjusting where the tension disappears, which allows you to go deeper into the pose. But it's that tension is the whole point. It was that tension that was stretching and opening up that fascial line, that band. Right. And uh, so I'm kind of an advocate in uh, looking for what your weakest link is. There are two areas you should spend a lot of time working on. And one is uh, trying to take your weakest link and bring it up to just mediocrity. Mm. You don't need to be brilliant, you know? So if you, um, I see this a lot in the tech world uh, and from my science background in college uh, and after, <clears throat> I knew people that were just certifiable geniuses in computer programming. Absolute geniuses and absolutely abysmal in personal communication. You know, an inability to listen to another person talk without interrupting and thinking and, you know. And what happens over the next 20 years to that person? Well, because social interactions are difficult, they avoid them. Because computer programming is easy and they're good at it, they immerse themselves in it and they get better and better and better at computer programming, worse and worse and worse at social interactions. And at some point in their career, working in a company with other people, they plateau. And if they could just improve their social skills just up to mediocrity, just up to a, a, a C minus, they could, no telling how far they could go with their computer programming. So it's that weak link that can sabotage and our tendency is to put more and more energy into the things we're good at. Right. And ignore the things we're bad at. Um, however, if you're mediocre at everything, you also aren't going to do well. Yes. So you want to take a couple of things that you're really, really good at and become absolutely brilliant at those. 
And then you want to look at the things that you're really, really bad at and just bring them up to passable. Uh, so I do that with my practice. Um, I spend a lot of time finding out, you know, what is that one muscle that just is like a little two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum and refuses to cooperate. <laughs> I spend a lot of time just all little, all baby, come on now, we can oh, do that. Oh, that's so sweet. We can open up here, you know? And then I spend a lot of time doing my favorite poses. Because <laughs> I get it's something. It's balance, right? You gotta have yeah. a win. <laughs> just be yeah, and I need, a, yeah, I need a win once in a while. I need to feel good. <laughs> right. Just like nail that pose. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Round, see if anyone saw that. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Oh, Charles, you're such a pleasure to talk to. I wanted to ask you something about your writing because you are mm -hmm. a phenomenal writer, poet, and you hold writing retreats and, and write the most beautiful guided visualizations. Oh my gosh. I listen to your CD, your audio all the time. Um, but I'm wondering, do you have any favorite, do you have a favorite quote or like a favorite saying? Uh, yes, but I also have an abysmal memory. Oh, <laughs> like, especially under uh, under pressure. Under pressure, right <laughs> that's the first thing for me. First thing that goes oh, is, like, is memory. Um, <laughs> let me think. Um, I uh, yeah, there's a there's an uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but one that served me well uh, mm -hmm. during a period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, it actually came from a sci-fi sci uh, author, uh, Frank Herbert, who wrote Dune. And uh, the movie's not expecting that at all. The, the book yeah. was actually quite good. Okay. Um, and there's a, there's a little quotation that a couple of the characters would use, the Bene Gesserit, when they were, um, when they were falling into a anxiety and fear. Right. And they used it as a, uh, almost an affirmation, a way of turning the corner on fear. And fear, ultimately, if you get to the root of fear, we, you really aren't scared of death. You really aren't scared of growing old. You aren't scared of any of those things. What you're really scared of is being scared. Okay. Now we think that death will make us scared. So we're scared to death, but what we're really scared of is the fear of dying. It's not the dying. We're scared of how we'll respond of our mental state. So when you boil it down, the root of fear is fear of fear. It's a dog chasing its tail, you know? And until you get down to that the very foundation of that and learn how to deal with that. Okay. Um, Krishnamurti does it well too. Um, so the little saying that helped me in a couple of crises, you know, you want to have a few little um, safety nets, you know, that are tucked away that in crisis you remember, they come drifting back to you. And so the saying is uh, fear is let me see. Oh, here goes my memory again. Fear is the little death that brings total oblivion. I will face my fear. I will let it pass over me and through me. And as it passes, I will turn the inner eye 
to follow. It's just turning in. Whoa. Whoa, I got goosebumps. Yeah. This reminds me of the Turia, the witnessing, the suite of consciousness. So fear is the little death that brings total oblivion. I will face my fear. I will let it pass over me and through me. And when it passes, I will turn the inner eye to follow. And when it is gone, only I will remain. Can you feel that kind of turning in? Yeah, just one of the little gifts of Dune. I'm a big Dune fan. (laughs) Yeah, so um, Krishnamurti, he advocates sitting, meditating. Uh, a big, uh, two major yoga teachers that are big Krishnamurti fans, Rodney Yi and Eric Schiffman, both of them heavily, heavily influenced by Krishnamurti. And you can tell it just by, if you're familiar with Krishnamurti's philosophy, you can hear it in everything they say. It comes through again and again and again. Um, Rodney Yee responded to a question. Uh, I was on a panel discussion with him and the someone in the audience and I was having a little um, meltdown. Uh, I was absorbed in anxiety uh, for a lot of reasons, but I just got knocked off balance and I got floodlights in my face, about 500 people in the audience and I'm spiraling down into social anxiety in my mind. I'm like a deer in the headlights. And a kid asked a question, which I know is directed to me uh, because everybody else on stage is there for breast cancer or this, that, the other. I was there for working at risk youth and this uh, 19 year old says, comes to Mike and says, ever since I was a young man, I've been feel, I've seen how the rich abuse the poor, how strong nations take advantage of third world countries, how we're destroying the planet for future generations. And I've been filled with rage. And when he said rage, there was this edge, knife edge to his voice. And he said, had it not been for yoga, I would have resorted to violence. Yeah. And it's very heartfelt. Had it not been for yoga, I would have resorted to violence. My question for the panel is, how can yoga help right these injustices? And I went, what a great question. And then I sit back to wait to find out what the answer is. (laughs) This is long pause. And then I look down the line and Judith Lasseter isn't reaching for the mic. Rodney Yee isn't reaching for the mic. Nobody else is reaching for the mic. And I go, why are they here? Judith is here for uh, working with women with breast cancer. <laughs> you know? And I suddenly realized that this, I'm on the panel. This is the question that the moderator is going to pitch to me. And I have no answer. My mind is absolutely blank. Not only that, I'm in this kind of downward psychotic spiral where I'm almost hearing voices. I'm so rattled. You know what fear can do to you distorts everything. And now I'm thinking not only is this not gonna launch my career being on this panel, it's going to destroy my career. Because if I open my mouth and start talking, it's gonna be a disaster. Rodney picks up the mic after like a 20 minute delay, which was probably 10 seconds. And he says, it seems to me there are all kinds of problems in this world, uh, that there are all kinds of violence in this world. Thinking of yourself as separate from the problem is a form of violence. When I meditate upon these things, for me, what comes up is confusion and fear. 
and I sit quietly with my confusion, and I sit quietly with my fear. And then he put the mic back. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) And this is that same Krishnamurti. Turn the inner eye. Right. Follow the fear. And when it is passed, only I remain. That's that's amazing. I decided I loved Rodney (laughs) because he got me back to my center. (laughs) Right? After that, you're like, okay, I feel Yeah, yeah. Next question was pitched to me and I answered it from that space. Yeah. 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 That that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. It all happens for for a reason. Are there any like when you when people experience anxiety, is there yoga poses that you find helpful for Mm -hmm. so uh, the forward bends are going to calm it but what i find is more effective is to do some type of a back bend first and then go into the forward bend okay okay so for instance just the back roll lay on a you know fold up a blanket and lay on your back and just open up the mid thoracic region oh take you know five ten fifteen twenty breaths and then come into something like child's pose same with the pranayama Uh, work with a unfortunately my recording stopped here so this concludes Charles McInerney's interview for just all the wonderful information that he shared with us uh, with the yoga poses the breathing all of his tips and tricks and if you are interested in learning more about him you can find him on yogateacher.com and he's also offering his live yoga sessions on Facebook Live. You can find him under Charles McInerney and I'll put the link in the uh, box below. Um, So thank you so much for listening guys and I will see you on the next podcast.